You are tuning into this week's episode of Fresh Off the Press with Shay Simmons and Evie Snowing. Today we'll, we will be discussing the events happening in Hong Kong, Mr. Kelly Keough, NCHS International Relations, AP Government, and Regional World Studies teacher is here as our guest speaker to provide insight on this topic. Mr. Keough, thanks so much for being here today. Happy to be here. Alright, to start, can you just give our listeners an overview on what's been happening in Hong Kong? Yeah, the Hong Kong situation, this has been boiling up for about the last three to four years. Um, the Hong Kong population, um, especially the younger people, they were led to believe that, as promised by the Beijing government, that they, when they signed an agreement in 1984, the British owned Hong Kong, it was a Protectorate, which they had for 99 years that they basically stole it from the Chinese and the, after the Opium Wars. But they negotiated a deal saying, uh, we're going to get that back to you. The British said, we're going to give it back to you. And the Chinese agreed that, yes, they'd have self-rule. It was called one country, two systems. Because Hong Kong had been democratic, very capitalistic. It's probably the most capitalistic economy in the world. So the fear was, well, what happens when communist China then takes over? What happens to people's political rights? And what about the economic structure and the rest? So the Thatcher government and the UK, they did the deal with the leader at the time, Deng Xiaoping. And Deng was very progressive for a totalitarian communist dictator. was very progressive. He's the one who brought in the new modernization of China in 78, where you implemented free market uh, society, which has made China what it is today, one of the fastest growing uh, capitalist countries in the world. They don't call it capitalism, it's authoritarian capitalism, though. But with that being said, they were promised that, don't worry, you're going to be able to maintain self-rule and also be under the legal jurisdiction of Hong Kong. You're not going to be under the jurisprudence of Beijing. So that was working. That had worked well. And this was coming on the hills June 4th, 1989 in Tiananmen Square. There was a massacre where you had young Chinese, primarily college students, some high school students and some other professionals who had gathered for two weeks protesting, saying economic freedom is fine, but we also want to have more political freedom. And Deng Xiaoping, uh, who was elderly at that juncture, he and the Chinese Politburo ordered a crackdown. And it was very divisive and the rest, but they really did crack down hard, kill thousands of these students, and really put a, a gag on this attempt to bring about democracy. And for years since then, there was fear. Well, what happens? That was in 89. What happens in 97 when Hong Kong is going to be handed over to Beijing? Is there going to be the same thing? Well, Deng Xiaoping and the Chinese government went out of their way to placate those fears because the last thing they wanted to do was to scare investors from the West who had lots of money tied into Hong Kong. And so basically, no, no, no. Again, we've already signed this agreement. It's going to be still the same thing. One country, two systems. And up until recently... The mainland Chinese government has abided by that. Um, so when they moved in, Chinese uh, GDP doubled overnight. So that's how phenomenal economic importance Hong Kong was. Well, then after a series, when Deng Xiaoping, before he died, 
he brought about a series of reforms in which he said uh, the current leaders of China could have X amount of years and then they had to name their successor and they could not stay in power for too long because he did not want to have the cult of personality that existed under Mao Zedong returning. And it worked. So you had basically Xu Jintao, other people, Xi Jinping, the rest, other who came in who were more technocrats, they abided by it. But then came Xi Jinping, the current leader. And Xi uh, has slowly encroached more and more into Hong Kong's sovereignty. For example, extradition. It was understood under the agreement that Hong Kong would remain under the Hong Kong jurisprudence, that if someone broke a law, they would be tried in Hong Kong courts, which is based on the English courts, not extradited back to Beijing, mainland China. So slowly what started to happen is that the Chinese government under Xi Jinping is really starting to put the squeeze on Hong Kong and slowly but surely are putting more and more people into the setting in Hong Kong that are trying to undermine this whole agreement. And so you had the umbrella protests that broke out about five, six years ago to initial protests. It's called the umbrella protests because they had umbrellas to protect them from the water cannons that were being sprayed with dye. And they shut down traffic the rest. And so the Chinese government backed off. But then subsequently, more and more, Xi Jinping, and it's not just Hong Kong, he's expanding China's influence throughout all of the South Asian Sea by building up these islands to extend China's territorial waters outside of the international law uh, boundaries, thereby claiming this is Chinese territory and other countries vis-a-vis America, Japan, others cannot go through there, and that's become very, very tense. Uh, so he's doing this throughout, and with that, Hong Kong is basically under the thumb. Now, it's getting really scary because a lot of the Chinese students, it has a lot of the eerie similarities of what happened in Tiananmen Square. You have a lot of Chinese students, college universities especially, that are saying, we will not acquiesce. Uh, we demand that we maintain the, the, the rights that we are given to us that eventually were supposed to, again, eventually the agreement one China, one country, two system would be sunsetting, but that was not supposed to be for another 30 years. So for a lot of these kids, they're like, what, what's happening now? And the Hong Kong police are under a lot of pressure because basically the forces there are under Beijing's control. And the People's Liberation Army has moved down a couple of divisions right along the border. Again, basically trying to intimidate the, the protesters. So the Trump administration has been absent up until recently. And we've had this struggle ever since America has normalized when Nixon recognized China in 72. And then Jimmy Carter gave him four diplomatic uh, ties in 1978. And then the George Herbert Walker Bush, Poppy Bush in 1989, when they cracked down Tiananmen Square. Does America, do we put pressure on the Chinese to improve on their human rights records vis-a-vis democracy? At the same time, they are very important to us economically for the China market. So how much pressure should we, and at this juncture, can we really put on China without doing damage to ourselves economically? That's one of the current debates about the Trump administration coming in and slapping these economic tariffs 
uh, is that hurting American farmers and other people worse who've lost that China market because the Chinese have retaliated uh, more than actually it's getting the Chinese to fall in line and do what we want? And by the way, let me just put a little side note here. The Chinese basically... Um, when people say, well, who's responsible for this? Americans need to look in the mirror because going back to Reagan, every subsequent president, Democrat, Republican alike, we have been allowing the Chinese uh, will buy their stuff. So you have American companies going there and sell stuff a lot, they make stuff a lot cheaper. Go to Walmart and you'll see probably 90% of the stuff there is made in China. So the Chinese also have been letting us borrow money. Now, they don't let us borrow money because they like us. They let us borrow money because they're charging us interest. So today, when some of us who know about this relationship hear America talking tough to Beijing about you better do what we want, it rings hollow to a certain extent because they have us over the financial bureau. We owe them a lot, a lot of money. That's because no American president wanted to go to the American electorate and say what needed to be said, which is we need to improve our infrastructure. We need to reduce our, de- reduce our deficit to the rest. And so that means we have to do one thing, raise taxes. Or call it revenue enhancements if it's easier that way, that euphemism. But they don't want to do that. So it's much easier just to keep borrowing, uh, and thereby Americans, again, don't feel that pinch. We keep, again, for con- consumer products, keep buying more and more stuff that's made in China. Well, do the math. Over, over years, what's happened? You know, and so again, that's also this idea of trade imbalance with China. It's not altogether accurate. Yes, for example, people look at Apple phones. Look, all oh, this is made in China. Well, the phone is put together in China, but all the components, the rest, a lot, some of them are actually made in the United States. So this idea of you're saying everything made in China is a trade imbalance, therefore we should take action. It's more complicated than that. Um, and so to a certain extent, you're actually doing more self-harm by, doing, by taking that road. So that being said, the Trump administration, Obama put some pressure on the Chinese, George W. Bush. Like I said, first President Bush called a constructive engagement saying we'll still trade with mainland China as long as they reach certain benchmarks in regards to allowing certain uh, religious and political rights and the rest. How much enforcement we actually put forth with that remains to be seen. Bill Clinton said he was going to talk tough to the Chinese. By the time he left office, he gave him most regulation trade status, which basically and led him into the World Trade Organization, which is, again, um, you have to look at that trade-off, human rights versus economics. So that being said, it was very surprising for some of us when the Trump administration, who came into office saying human rights are not going to be at all a concern for us, we're about transactions, we're about business. That was true for Saudi Arabia and other places. Then two weeks ago, the Trump administration passed legislation which the Congress approved, uh, the Hong Kong Act, which saying we stand with Hong Kong demonstrators, which was really a surprise. As a result, Xi Jinping and China then pushed back and said, okay, America, because of you're taking these actions, which we think are infringing on our sovereignty, the United States military and naval forces are no longer allowed to dock in Hong Kong. So you see it ratcheting up. So we'll see. I think some of it might be uh, guys on the part of Trump in order to get pressure or at least attention away from the tariffs, the wars that are going on between us and mainland China because they're not very popular and also we have an election year coming up. But the situation with Hong Kong, I'm hoping that, and I know the Congress, vast majority of Congress, 
signed that legislation and said, yes, we will support that. Now, whether that's just for, for window dressing and what happens tomorrow if the People's Liberation Army moves in and cracks down, what happens then? Do we stand by that and say, okay, we'll put further economic sanctions on China? That remains to be seen. So it's really a tense situation, and it gets right at the heart of China, to a certain extent, really bristles at the fact of anybody, especially the United States, telling them how they should act in what they consider to be internal matters, because the Chinese have a chip on their shoulder the size of the Great Wall, because for years... They were basically subjugated to Western rule, and today, again, any any condemnation or criticism of them, they bristle at that. So, and I'm afraid the Hong Kong citizens are kind of caught in the middle. So, and the idea has always been: the more we engage China, the more they become like us. And eventually, the adage has always been: free markets, capitalism means free people. Eventually, they'll adopt democracy. Well, unfortunately, China has proven that to be not necessarily the case. They have authoritarian capitalism, so it's really making a lot of political scientists look at it and go, what's next? We don't know. So. Okay. So the extradition bill seems to yeah. be a big part of these protests. Can you give our listeners some background on Yeah, again, that was one of the part of the original agreement was that those adage what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So if you're going to have the one China, two systems, then the Hong Kong system had their own jurisprudence that had been in establishment since, again, under the British for, for years. The idea that they would, yes, they would still have the ability to try and put people, again, find guilty, whatever, in Hong Kong. And that was abided by by Beijing up until recently. And that's uh, Xi Jinping has been infringing on that. And this idea that someone who the Chinese deem to be uh, a, quote, a terrorist, which that's a real, especially what they deem to be a terrorist, is anybody who criticizes their policies, so that they should be able to be extradited back and put on trial back in Beijing, mainland, or Shanghai, anywhere in mainland China. For a lot of people in Hong Kong, like, no, that's a violation of that. Also, what are you doing? You're acquiescing this idea of becoming more and more of a totalitarian system, not being free. So, one China, two systems. Sounds like he's trying to get rid of the two systems part, make them all uh, put them under the heel of Beijing. So that's why that is such a contentious point. Okay, and what do these protests mean for the future democracy in China, if there even will be a future democracy? Well, that's that's the frightening thought. What happens with this? Because after Tiananmen Square. For a lot of young Chinese, I actually had a young man who lived with my wife and I from uh, Macau, which is across the way from Hong Kong. Portuguese owned that, very similar. The Chinese got that from the Portuguese in 1998, a year after they got back to Hong Kong. And talking to this young man who lived with us for a few years, he was saying that a lot of young Chinese are at that point where after Tiananmen Square, it was like, look, we just need to learn to, we've got freedom to make as much money as we want, the rest, improve our living standards, which they have done. I mean, if you look at China's economic growth, it has just been phenomenal. More people have been lifted out of poverty uh, in China since they introduced Deng Xiaoping's uh, market reforms in 78 than ever in the history of mankind. 
So if you're a young Chinese, you get involved in your career and the rest, don't make waves and you can make as much money as you want. You can prove your living standards and that's happened. So in Hong Kong, you've had this uptick of young people who, like I said, they have not lived under the thumb of totalitarian China. And so for them, they're seeing it as, well, we still want to maintain democracy and have our, our rights. So what that means, if they crack down on them, will it be another, let's see, 89 was how many years ago? 30 years ago? That you'll have another 30 years of docile, basically non-pursuit uh, of democratic reforms because you know what happens if you do, you get crushed by the authorities. It's a real tough situation. No one really knows. I know there are some people who are arguing that scratch underneath the surface, and especially in a lot of provincial areas of China, and you'll find unrest, and a lot of people don't like the system. But there again, it's, it's, they, the government has such control. I mean, the Internet and everything in China that I don't envision them being able to, uh, that a democracy movement would ever be able to really take hold and oust uh, the current regime. I just think their tentacles are too deep. And I also think that um, for a lot of young people, they had to make that decision. Is it, is it worth my interest to trade economic freedom for more political freedom and knowing the consequences? Like I said, I have nothing but... Um, Concern and admiration for those people who are taking such a courageous stand because uh, that's very dangerous and could be very costly. So, hope it doesn't get to that point, but I'm skeptical. Sorry, I wish I could be happy new year. I wish I could be more optimistic, but I just, I don't know. I've just seen way too many years of this take place. But, you know, who knows? I mean, no one ever thought that the Berlin Wall would collapse when it did in November of 89. I mean, again, it came in after Tiananmen Square. And knowing how repressive the Soviet Union had been toward people who had tried to bring about change in uh, Germany, that happened. So I'm thinking anything's possible, but I'm, I wouldn't bet on it, put it that way. There's always hope. There's always hope, exactly. <laughs> so currently Hong Kong has a basic law constitution yes. that grants the people with limited freedoms, mm-hmm. but that will expire in 2047. Yeah. So what's your prediction that happens to China? <sighs> well, that's again, I mean, that's kind of where Xi Jinping is kind of moving that time <laughs> timeline forward. And that's why a lot of this is pushback against that, because... Yeah, you can look at that and say, well, okay, we got a while to go and the rest. And I think in fairness to the people who signed that, the especially the Thatcher government in 84 and the rest, that the thought was at that time, hey, the more they're going to have free markets, the more likelihood by the time we get to that point, that no, they'll become just like, uh, just like us and democracy will take hold. Well, the opposite has proven to be the case. So we don't know. Uh, no one can predict the future, but if I was to harbor a guess, I would say by that time, I don't think the democratic movement in China will be around the way things are being squeezed right now. But hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the mainland and Xi Jinping will whatever changes ways, but I don't see that happening right now. So... 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming welcome, on our guys. show today, Mr. Keogh. I'm just glad you guys were discussing international uh, events, and I'm glad more and more young people are taking interest in it because it's your world. Stay engaged. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fresh Off the Press with Shay Simmons and Evie Snowing.